Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, March 13th, we are studying Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 through 46. Jesus enters the temple on Monday of Holy Week and immediately faces the challenge of the chief priests and the elders. When their challenge fails, Jesus begins to tell a series of parables, condemning these leaders for their misuse of the authority God had given them. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Dan Speckard. Pastor Peck- Speckard serves at Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Pastor Speckard, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tim. So this morning as we get started, Pastor Speckard, give us some context. Where are we in Matthew's Gospel as we move into today's text? Right, so the you know the context is pretty vital here. Uh, as you noted, this is uh, Holy Week our Lord has. Uh, entered into Jerusalem and already cleansed the temple. Um, you know, so much of the uh, scriptures, when we're, we're reading them and inter- interpreting them, you know, we're, we're making uh, sure to uh, read everything through the lens of the cross and to understand whether it's, you know, you and I have looked at Exodus before or the prophet Amos uh, or, or any book of the Bible, uh, making sure we, we are thinking in terms of what uh, would take place or what did take place uh, in Jerusalem. Well, today, uh, you know, that's exactly where we are. This is uh, the rubber very much hitting the road. Uh, what Jesus came to do, uh, he is about to accomplish. And, um, you know, that sort of, that sort of amplifies everything that we, uh, we see, uh, not only in, in, you know, the section of text we'll be studying, but, uh, you know, your listeners will be focusing on in the coming days, uh, which is so appropriate for this time of year. Um, as you noted, one of the um, you know one of the key themes in this particular section uh, is authority and uh, recognizing that uh, Jesus came to um, uh, proclaim the authority of God first and foremost, uh, as it would be uh, manifested in his gospel. And you kind of see this, uh, this tension, to say the very least, uh, between uh, him and his followers, uh, particularly the disciples, uh, on the one hand, and then the chief priests and the elders and, um, you know, the scribes and, and all these, these characters we're so familiar with from the, uh, the Passion narrative. Um, you know, I would just have us remember, since we're talking about context, uh, immediately before this, uh, Jesus uh, you know, performed this miracle of sorts in front of his disciples involving the fig tree. Um, I think it's important to understand that uh, for the readers of Matthew, um, one of the questions that would have been answered here has to do with spiritual authority and the transition from the former authority of the Jewish leadership uh, now to the disciples who would become apostles. Um, and we'll get into that, but that's really the um, kind of really what's happening in these verses today. The end of that that text that we looked at yesterday with the fig tree, Jesus talks about the authority that 
the apostles are going to have, and in fact, the authority that he's already promised and given them back in Matthew chapter 10, this authority of sending to go and preach, and he's reminded them of that authority. So you do have that contrast right here in the previous text of that that giving of authority or reminding of authority that goes to the apostles, and now we're going to see the authority that had been with the chief priests, the elders, being taken away or a recognition, perhaps, that they've, they've forsaken it. Yeah. And so that, that theme of authority, I think, is going to help us as we, as we look at this text today. I'll go ahead and read it for us. We're in Matthew chapter 21, beginning at verse 23. And when he, that's Jesus, entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, The first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, And you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, They perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. That's the text for today, Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 through 46. Pastor Speckard, that the text gets going. Jesus comes into the temple. Again, this is is Monday of Holy Week, I believe. And, And here come the religious leaders of the people to Jesus, and they start questioning his authority to do these things. What's... What have they observed in Jesus? Why do they bring this question to him right now? Yeah, and that's that's a great place to start because Jesus had not um, 
had not come into Jerusalem as one looking to <laughs> avoid conflict. I mean, he, uh, I mean, the triumphal entry was such a uh, such a remarkable scene. Um, you know, not just what our Lord did, but what the uh, the crowds uh, would have been proclaiming. And um, and then when he gets to Jerusalem, uh, immediately he he goes straight to the temple, uh, is the impression that Matthew gives us, and uh, and starts to, uh, you know, in addition to just sort of causing a ruckus, you know, he calls it my house. Um, he refers to it, you know, quite clearly as as sort of his purview. Um, which would have been a direct challenge to the the chief priests and the elders, um, you know, the um, and it's not just that he did these sort of these seemingly aggressive things, but then he backed it up. He, you know, you can imagine from the the perspective of the elders, not only does he um, challenge their authority, but then you know he he heals the blind and the lame, um, you know, sort of to to demonstrate uh, that he came as one with the the right to do this, and uh, you know that put put the religious leadership of the time in a really uh, in a really tight spot. Um, and then we shouldn't neglect, you know, the the cursing of the fig tree, uh, which of course was done before the disciples. Um, you know, I, I have to think that word would have gotten to uh, the other people uh, in Jerusalem about that event. Um, if for no other reason than, you know, the, the power to wither a healthy tree, um, you know, we maybe read over that and just chalk it up to Jesus doing powerful things. But you can imagine when somebody can wield not only life but also um, also death in that way, uh, that is a, um, that is a, a truly intimidating, um, awe-inspiring, and sort of the, uh, the most terrifying sense of the word, uh, sort of thing. And so, you know, Jesus, um, you know, wasn't, wasn't avoiding the conflict, to say it again. He, he was um, here for a purpose, and of course he uh, will have known how this would all, um, you know, all come to a close. Uh, but as you noted, Holy Monday, he's already, um, you know, pushing the pushing the issue with the, the chief priest and the, the elders. Right. You, starting here, we, well, actually, I mean, right before Jesus comes in to Jerusalem, he heals those two blind men. And it's, it's interesting to see that there the crowds try to stop the blind men from crying out, but Jesus never does at that point. We'd seen him previously in Matthew's Gospel tell people that he had healed, don't say anything right now. Here in Jerusalem, that time is over. The, the time, as you said at the very beginning in your introduction, this is what it's all about. We are seeing the events of our salvation unfold. Everything else in the scriptures is pointing to these events here in Jerusalem. And so it's, it's all happening. None of this is a surprise to Jesus. The things that he's done have, I don't know, instigated is, is the right word, but he's not shying away from this conflict right now because he knows that the time is at hand. And so he's, he's displayed his authority these religious leaders naturally question that authority because it's a challenge to their own. And, and so Jesus, they've, they've got this question, you know, where's your authority coming from? Who gave it to you? Jesus answers with a question of his own. And, and as the, the text progresses, it's, it's one of those places where you, you, at least I've always admired the, the strategy of Jesus in the way that he, he handles this just from an earthly perspective. But 
I mean, is he changing the subject? Is he weaseling out? What's what's Jesus doing as he now, it would seem, maybe redirects where the Pharisees are, are coming at him? Right, right. It's it's sort of the ultimate power move here where, um, you know, Jesus comes into, uh, you know, the, the, the front yard of the uh, religious leadership of the Jews and does all of these things, you know, seemingly to, you know, maybe instigate isn't the right word, but uh, certainly draws them uh, into the conflict. Um, and then they respond uh, from what would appear to be a seat of authority of their own. Um, you know, who, who gives you the right to do this? Uh, and then the power move is that Jesus totally, uh, totally sidesteps and just launches into um, uh, a series of, of uh, parables and, and just wonderful rhetoric here uh, where he's going to totally turn the tables and call their authority into question. Um, and that's the sort of thing that, you know, you can really only pull off uh, if you are, are certain of your own authority and you, uh, you're you able to back it up. And, of course, Jesus can. So, yeah, when he, um, you know, they didn't say anything about John the Baptist. Uh, you know, this, this seems to come out of left field, and uh, maybe we get the impression that Jesus is, is just changing the subject. But actually... Uh, what he's doing here is forcing them uh, to uh, pick a side, which, if they had true authority, right, picking picking a side with respect to John the Baptist would be no trouble. In fact, as those with authority, they would be the ones who would uh, be able to say quite easily, you know, John was from God or John was from man. Um, they should be the arbiter of that. But because their authority, um, the authority they've sort of clung to, uh, is, is not that which was given them by God, but is an authority of their own making, or, or as we'll see, an authority that comes from the crowd. Um, you know, they know they can't answer, and if they can't answer, then they don't have any real authority. And if they don't have any real authority, then they have no right to question Jesus. And so it really is, um, as you said, a, a sort of a beautiful uh, tactical move here by our Lord, uh, which should come as no surprise. I mean, um, the the chief priests and elders were were overmatched, um, and, and we'll 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 sort of continue to see this uh, that you know their the authority they they had um, was was not the rightful authority of sort of spiritual leadership or spiritual headship um, they had forsaken that and now the authority they had came solely from their ability to manipulate and control the crowd. And, you know, you don't have to be a, a too learned of a historian uh, to know that that authority tends to be short-lived. Um, and it inevitably, uh, you know, gives way either to sort of pointless pandering, where you just do anything you can to remain popular, or sort of authoritarian control, where you have to make sure the crowd, uh, you know, stays in line behind you. Um, but either way, that's a tough thing to maintain, and that's we do well to appreciate at this point. Um, you know, we sit here and we wonder. Uh, here they are on Holy Monday; they're they're days away from literally murdering Jesus. You know, how did they get to that point? Well, you know, Jesus definitely um, uh, put his foot on the gas here and put them in a spot where um, if they were going to continue. Um, to, to claim anything amongst the people of Israel, uh, they were going to have to do something about this Jesus of Nazareth. And 
Um, that's, of course, what we'll see take place. Right. So, so Jesus is not changing the subject, but, but in fact, just addressing the, the question of authority from a, a different manner. And, and John the Baptist, as a, a figure, is going to continue to be important as, as the Lord's words will move forward. But, but what he's doing, as you said, he's, he's exposing their authority for what it really is, and in fact, for what it, what it isn't. If they did have true authority from God, they would have been able to make a declaration concerning John previously with no problem at all. Or, and, and then in, in the same step, right, they would have been able to make a similar declaration about Jesus if they had true authority, but they don't. And, and that's the point. And, and their words, right, maybe take us through their sort of reasoning behind the scenes when it comes to Jesus' answer. Their words then reveal that the only, as you've been saying, the only authority they actually have is one that they have from the crowds, which is not much authority at all. Right, and that's and that's really important for us to see. You know, when they, you know, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, "Why then did you not believe him?" But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, uh, for they all hold that John was a prophet. And you know, this is a really um, we probably don't like to identify too much with the uh, the chief priests and the elders, but any of us who have uh, vocations of spiritual headship or leadership, whether you're uh, you're a pastor or a father or a parent, whatever it would be. Um, you know, there's a, a significant lesson here that the moment you uh, seek to sort of um, uh, wield your authority in such a way that is going to keep you popular um, or, or make the crowds love you, uh, that, that is a, a dangerous road to go down. Um, now, as it would happen in this case, the, the crowds actually uh, had it right. Um, but you can see that, you know, the chief priests and the elders, they're they're thinking about it on, on totally wrong terms. And how many, how many times as pastors have we, um, you know, known where to, uh, where it would be um, God pleasing uh, to wield the authority we've been given with respect to uh, the proclamation of the word or the administration of the sacraments? Um, but because we know that's not going to be popular, uh, we do something different. Um, how many parents, uh, you know, know what they should say? to their children, uh, what lesson needs to be learned or, or what needs to be done. Uh, but, you know, we want our children to like us. Uh, it's, you know, it's a lot more, um, you know, the days just go by more easily when everybody's getting along. Um, you know, this temptation towards, um, uh, you know, pacifying the crowd or remaining, remaining popular with the crowd, you know, the second you give in to that, you're abandoning what, whatever authority you actually have, uh, because with authority becomes accountability. Um, you can't, uh, you can't, we, our God doesn't give authority simply for the sake of the one in power, uh, but rather, as we see time and time again in the scriptures, you know, God gives authority for the sake of those uh, who are under that authority, that they would be cared for and, and led. And the second you seek to uh, lead, uh, or I should say, the second you, you cease to lead, the second you 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 stop, um, you know, speaking the difficult word uh, for the betterment of those under you, um, your authority is going to be short-lived from there on out, and certainly the the chief priest would discover that quickly. 
Right, right. Yeah. So they, I mean, they, they refuse to give an answer at this point. They tell Jesus, we don't know. They, they won't admit what they, what they do know, it seems. And so, it, and then Jesus comes back and says, then I'm not going to talk to you about my authority. You have no right to question my authority if you have none yourselves. And then he, he continues right into the parable that in the ESV, you get this, this title that's called the parable of the two sons that sort of interrupts the text, but you can see it's, it's still Jesus just he just goes straight into it. And and it looks to me like they haven't answered his question, but in telling the parable he he kind of forces them to answer the question, to give the answer that they know in the back of their minds but they don't want to admit out loud. What's what's going on in this parable of the two sons, Pastor Speckard? Yeah, and that's you know, you see that over and over again with the parables that um it's kind of funny that the, the disciples so often they hear the parables and they don't seem to, they don't always seem to get it. Um, the religious leadership of the Jews, whether it's the Pharisees or the Sadducees, the chief priests, the elders, um, they they seem much better equipped at understanding the parable. Um, what they don't do well, or or when they do it well, they certainly don't like it, is recognizing that that often the parable is directed right at them, and so. Um, uh, you know, this, this two sons parable, uh, and you're right. I mean, it, Jesus just launches, you know, directly into it, um, is maybe a little bit confusing because what we have to determine is, you know, when exactly, uh, did God go, or, or I should say, did the father, a man, uh, who had two sons, uh, when exactly did he go to his children or to his son and say, uh, go and work in the vineyard? today. Um, there's some maybe interpretive debate on this. Um, if, you, if you read it to say that this is referring to John the Baptist, his proclamation being the first word, and then the coming of Jesus being the opportunity for uh, the Son to actually get to work, um, it's a little bit hard to navigate uh, because the Pharisees don't, or I should say that the chief priests and the elders don't really fit into either camp. They said no to John, and they're saying no to Jesus. Um, but I, I, I think that as we hear this, uh, and particularly as we hear about um, when our Lord talks about tax collectors and prostitutes, um, I think it's more likely the case that the, you know, the man who has two sons, you know, that first word, uh, go and work in the vineyard today, really refers to, to simply the, you know, all of the law uh, written upon the heart of men, given by God, uh, you know, through Moses and in the scriptures. Um, just sort of the general um, uh, command by God to serve him and love our neighbor. Um, I think that's the first opportunity. And so, you know, prostitutes, tax collectors, you know, they're, they're the, you know, the son who, um, you know, at first blush, rejected the uh, command from God to, to simply lead God-pleasing lives. Um, you know, they're the, the son who um, aren't even given the appearance of wanting to do the will of their father. But when Jesus comes, uh, we see, you know, these, these sinners, these tax collectors, these prostitutes, these um, you know, outcasts of society, and, and many times outcasts by their own doing, uh, flocking to Jesus, proclaiming, you know, Lord have mercy and receiving his grace. Um, and that's all well and good. Um, 
the chief priests and the elders, conversely, you know, they knew better than anyone God's original command with respect to working in the vineyard and, and what that should look like. And by all appearances, uh, they seemed to be responding positively, right? Their initial response is, yes, I'll do the work. I will serve your people. I will lead uh, this pious life, you know, in, in your city, in your temple. Um, but then when the opportunity came to, to actually do the work, and in the end, all God asks of his people is that they believe Right, trust his son, um, uh, put their faith in him. Uh, when it comes time to do that, uh, you know they they turn their back and, and, and they do not go. Um, so that's that's how I would interpret this parable, and it allows us to understand uh, precisely where the um, where the chief priests and the elders are failing. Um, their their initial inclination to say yes to God. Um, is, is totally negated by their uh, rejection of God's Son, um, which is, of course, you know, <laughs> the applications of that, that dynamic are, uh, you know, we could talk about that all day. Right, right. So, so the, the turning point, the, the key here is the coming of, of Jesus, the Son of God, and, and connected with, with his coming is the coming of John as well, and the preaching of John. Here, Jesus brings John back into the picture as he's explaining this, this parable. So the, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, in their outward life, were rejecting God's will for them as he had revealed it to them in his word. But when John came and he preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and Jesus came and preached the same thing, they believed that proclamation. And in so doing, were, were doing the will of the Father. They were going into the vineyard and, and working, which is that, that matter of believing. The Pharisees and the, the chief priests and the scribes, on the other hand, as, as you've said, right, they al aligned themselves with the will of God initially. They, they looked to the word as their source of authority. But when John came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, when Jesus came preaching the same thing, they did not believe. And, and so, and so they, they, in fact, turn out to be that second son who did not do the will of the Father because because of their response to his son. We're going to take our break right now, Pastor Speckard, right there in the middle. We'll pick a little bit more up of that parable and then move into the next on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFUO. We're going to be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that for over 40 years, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries with low-cost loans and resources? This is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Because of faithful investors like you, we've been able to help church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations. To learn how you can get involved, call 800-843-8233. On Thursday's Law and Gospel, Wes Reimnitz and myself, Tom Baker, spoke about how the church is responding to the coronavirus. Perhaps you have some suggestions. Open Mic Friday, the next broadcast, will give you an opportunity to phone me. Listen to Law and Gospel weekday mornings beginning at 930 on KFUO. 
LCMS Disaster Response and Training provides guidance and counsel to congregations seeking to show mercy to their neighbors before, during, and after disasters. From congregation preparedness to equipping volunteers in our Lutheran Early Response Team training, we can help you engage your community, particularly those who are suffering in any way with the love of Christ. For more information, you can follow us on Facebook, keyword LCMS Disaster Response, or visit our website at lcms.org forward slash disaster. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. On this Friday, March 13th, we're looking at Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 through 46 with Pastor Dan Speckard of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Pastor Speckard, prior to the break, we were starting to look at the parable of the two sons, and we kind of cut off in the middle of our conversation there uh, with with Jesus making the point to the, the chief priests, the elders, that they have not... They've been the second son, the one who agreed to do the will of the Father initially, but in rejecting John, in rejecting Jesus, they've actually not done the will of the Father. And, and so, I mean, what what are we? What's the danger that Jesus is laying out here for the his opponents, for the chief priests, the elders? Yeah, well, you know, the danger is something. You go back to the uh, the cursing of the fig tree, as you looked at yesterday. Um, you know, God had given these. Uh, uh, religious leaders, uh, the authority to um, to feed and to nourish and to guide uh, the, the people of Israel there in Jerusalem, and uh, particularly at the temple, where for um, uh, you know under the old covenant, um, the temple is so central uh, to the the spiritual well-being of God's people, and you know they're they're totally um, totally dropping the ball. Uh, in that, you know, everything that, that the law and the prophets were pointing towards, right, the coming of the Messiah, uh, which, which John proclaimed, and of course, which Jesus is, uh, they're, they're utterly rejecting. Um, and, and the danger in that, as we'll see, I mean, there's a, um, a very real danger for the ones doing the rejecting, uh, and that becomes more clear in the next parable. But I think, you know, before we, we dive into that, I think it's really... Um, a comforting thing for us to to see Jesus um, holding those in authority uh, accountable, going out of his way to do so. Because when he came to Jerusalem, I mean, ultimately, his conflict isn't really with the chief priests and the elders. I mean, our Lord has has bigger fish to fry, so to speak. Um, But, you know, he takes the time to put them in their place um, not just sort of out of spite or to make them look bad, but I think to demonstrate to all of God's people who would have been there, you know, at that at that moment, uh, and certainly all of us as we uh, we study these words today, um, you know, to demonstrate that the God cares what happens to His people, uh, cares enough to hold the leaders He uh, ordains or establish uh, establishes uh, to hold them accountable. Uh, and that ought to be a tremendous comfort uh, uh, to us, even as it's also a um, a little bit of a um, hum- 
humbling thing for any of us who have authority. Uh, we're all under authority, and uh, you know, there's there's great comfort there that God does not just, you know, hand His people over to the uh, the chief priests and the elders, or hand his people over to the apostles, or hand his people over to the church, and then, you know, totally go out for the night and not care what happens to his children. Uh, but rather, God um, cares a great deal what happens to his children. Uh, and Jesus makes that abundantly clear here, and particularly, um, you know, at a time in the, uh, you know, in sort of our global, our global society, a time that is uh, in these last few days and weeks, you know, so marked by, by fear and, and, and worry uh, and concern, um, it ought to be uh, some measure of comfort to know that none of this is happening apart from God uh, and that the, you know, it's particularly at times like these uh, that we can rest all the more securely in the loving care of our Heavenly Father because our Heavenly Father um, does care. And Jesus is is driving that home um, uh, really, really directly in this passage. Yeah, behind behind all human authority, or, or I should say it this way, the only human authority that is true is that authority which comes from God Himself, exercised in the stewardship that that He has given. And and when it's misused, that to see God hold that authority accountable is a great comfort to us. And even when it's misused, that that God's purposes do not fail. And I think that becomes very apparent in the in the next parable that Jesus tells here, the, the parable of the, the vineyard and the tenants particularly being being important characters within that, how how their actions do not ultimately, as Jesus will quote from Psalm one eighteen, their actions don't don't frustrate the will of God the Father. In fact their actions are, are all a part of what his will is to save humanity, as we'll see. So I think that's a good segue into this parable. So we got we got the parable of the tenants as it's as it's titled in the ESV, um, which which is about it's about a vineyard. And and now the vineyard is a, a common image both in the old and the new testaments. What what's going on with this with the vineyard, Pastor Specter? Yeah, and, and you hit the nail on the head. You know, the language uh, Jesus uses here to begin the parable where he describes, um, you know, and seemingly, you know, if, you, if you're not familiar with Isaiah, uh, you might read these details about, um, you know, putting the fence around it and dug a wine press and built a tower. That might, that might sound um, a little bit random. Uh, but, of course, that if, you, if you've read Isaiah chapter 5, uh, we've seen this language before, and this is a, um, uh, you know, a pretty famous section of Isaiah where the, the vineyard is, is, you know, the, the people of Israel, God has done the planting. Um, now, they're not exactly the same, as we'll see, the, the parable or the uh, sort of the, the lesson from Isaiah is different than that which Jesus gives here. But that imagery uh, definitely establishes the, the context as, um, you know, this is about God's relationship with his people. Um, we saw that in Isaiah, and we see it uh, very clearly here with a twist. Um, we're going to focus now on those whom God trusted, uh, or with whom God entrusted uh, the authority over his people, over his vineyard, uh, as we'll see. So, so take us into this, this parable. We've got, we've got a vineyard, it's, it's been planted, and there are tenants, and that's where the, the parable is going to turn. What, what's happening in this parable and, and what is the point that Jesus is making in that? Right, and it's sort of, um, uh, it's a pretty simple parable. Uh, you know, this, uh, 
master who has planted a vineyard has uh, entrusted its care over to tenants, and, and, and tenants would have, uh, you know, been people uh, with the the wherewithal and the know-how to uh, to care for something like this. Um, and the whole idea would have been that they that the livelihood of the tenants is in caring for the property of another. Um, you know, they find in that. Uh, their vocational sort of direction and uh, obviously are going to be compensated by the master. Um, but it's the master's vineyard. And, you know, the master goes into another country. But when he returns, uh, the whole arrangement is that, of course, uh, you know, the, the, uh, time will, the time will come uh, for him to get the fruit, the master to receive the fruit, uh, and the tenants would give it will- willingly. Um, well, when the fruit... Uh, uh, begins to grow, the season for fruit drew near, the master sends servants to, to get the fruit, uh, to collect that which the vineyard had produced. Um, and here the tenants break the arrangement and break it dramatically. Um, rather than simply giving the fruit that belongs to the master, uh, they, they kill the servants, uh, beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Uh, and then more servants come, uh, and they kill those two. Um, and then, and, and here's where um, we, we have to just make sure we're recognizing how insane this is. Uh, you know, the master, after having lost two sets of servants uh, to these wicked tenants who are killing uh, the people he sends, uh, the master sends his son. And the tenants think, you know, this is the first insane thing, uh, the tenants think this is the heir Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance, which, of course, is a, a ludicrous premise that <laughs> that by killing the son of the master, they would somehow uh, win the, the, the heir's uh, inheritance, as though the master would, would acquiesce, like, yep, you killed my son, I guess you get what belonged to him. Um, but even more ludicrous, and, and this is where uh, we talked about, you know, the Christian comfort aspect of all of this a moment ago, uh, this is where, you know, the hearts of Christians ought to just swell at the love that their God has for them. Um, we need to consider, you know, the master would have known what was likely going to happen. The master would have known what these tenants uh, are prone to do, uh, and he sent his son anyway. And, of course, when we uh, translate this into the sort of the scriptural uh, the scriptural narrative, um, you know, we've seen God's people, uh, and and oftentimes the leaders amongst them, the temporal leaders amongst them, uh, we've seen how they treat uh, the prophets of God. Uh, we've seen um, uh, the, the, the suffering and the sorrow inflicted uh, upon the uh, people whom God sends to, to proclaim his word, uh, to care for or receive uh, the fruits of the vineyard, which are the people of Israel, uh, God's chosen people. Um, you know, Jesus had, had just finished talking about John the Baptist. Well, we know what happened to John the Baptist. Uh, we saw the temporal leaders of uh, the chosen people. Uh, we saw how they treated John, who came proclaiming Christ uh, in order to, uh, you know, collect the, the fruit of the vineyard into the house of God. Um, you know, they, his head was, was cut off. Um, Nevertheless, knowing that, God sends the Son. Um, and we're going to see, you know, Jesus, of course, who is the Son, uh, we're going to see the, the sort of under, um, 
the, the, the overarching purpose behind that uh, in just a moment. Uh, but it's certainly a, a remarkable testament to how much God loves the fruit, right? We, the fruit of the vineyard, we, the fruit of the, uh, uh, you know, lineage of Abraham by faith. Um, God loves us enough to have sent his son uh, to receive us. And of course, if you're following the three-year lectionary, we just had John chapter 3, particularly verses 15 through 17. Um, That ought to be ringing in our ears here, uh, that God sent his son even knowing um, uh, what was, was going to transpire, because that's how much he loves the world. Um, and, and we'll see we'll see kind of how that plays out moving forward. Right. The, the sending of the Son is not an accident. It wasn't foolishness on the part of the Father. Although, as you point out, it does look like foolishness to, to the world. I'm, I'm reminded of what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, where he talks about the Christ crucified is is foolishness and weakness to the world, but to us who are being saved, this is this is the power and the wisdom of God, and and you see that that right here within this parable, as the father sends his son, even after his, I mean, you imagine the son walking past the graves of those those servants that have just gone, and and this is crazy, Dad. No, no, this isn't. This isn't insanity. This is the father's love for his people. God the Father loved the world in this way that he gave his his only son into death to save us, to give us eternal life through faith. So so Jesus lays out this parable for this for his opponents, and then he he puts it to them, saying, Here's here's what happened. They killed the son. What's gonna happen now? Jesus invites them to answer. And and as you pointed out, Pastor Speckard, they they get it at least to a degree. What's happening as Jesus now puts it to them and, and continues his interpretation? Right, and this is sort of the, you know, uh, as the kids say, the cringeworthy moment here where uh, the chief priests and the elders, uh, they totally get the parable. Uh, it's not that hard a parable to get. You know, Of course, uh, you know, the owner of the vineyard, when he comes, what will he do to the tenants? He'll put those wretches to a miserable death. That's the right answer. Of course that's what's going to happen. Um, but, you know, what they're not... What they're not comprehending, at least, uh, at least for a couple more verses, uh, is that you know the ones they speak of uh, are, are themselves. Uh, they are the tenants. They are the wretches. They deserve the miserable death. Um, and and it's not just that. That's not you know the the big reveal um, is not just that um, you know you chief priests and you you elders you've um, you've sort of brought judgment upon yourself. Um, but the big reveal comes in the next set of verses having to do with the stone, where Jesus demonstrates that it's, it's even by these things uh, that God is going to work out the salvation of his people, um, that through their rejection, their rejection of him, uh, God would lay a foundation uh, for the faith of um, uh, all, the, you know, all the elect. And that's... Um, you know that's sort of the the beauty of this uh, this passage, and and really the beauty of um, you know the whole gospel narrative. Um, the most foolish, the most wicked, the most wretched things that the enemies of God um, wield against His people, God uses those things. Um, you know the the twist and the tail. God uses those things 
to bring about his people's salvation, uh, as we'll see. So, so Jesus, hearing their answer then, he begins to, to preach to them from, from Psalm 118. This is, and I'm, I'm trying to, to, this is like the, the sermon text for Holy Week, or at least the first few days of Holy Week is Psalm 118. It, it shows up repeatedly. We've, we've seen it already on Palm Sunday in the cries of the crowd, and, and perhaps they didn't quite grasp everything they were, they were preaching when they were singing Hosanna to the son of David. Now Jesus is going to bring Psalm 118 back to the minds of the people yet again. What, what is Jesus doing as he responds and interprets the parable for the, for the chief priests and the elders? Yeah, and, and you're exactly right. He invokes Psalm 118, and um, uh, as you noted, that, that psalm has been sort of uh, living in this, in this portion of the narrative, and, and well it should. Um, and what he's doing is... Um, uh, preaching that by rejecting him, uh, the chief priests and the elders are actually accomplishing the will of the Lord, and and that's sort of this this tremendous insult uh, to to any of the the enemies of God um, that they think they're working against him. They think that they're um, they're sort of uh, uh, rivaling his power or or subverting his will when in actuality even their best efforts uh, are serving God's purposes. Um, so, the, you know, the, the builders, the, the tenants, the uh, religious leaders, the chief priests, the elders, uh, they reject the stone. Uh, but that stone becomes the cornerstone uh, according to the doing of the Lord. And it is marvelous in our eyes when the Son of Man is lifted up, uh, when the uh, stone that is cast out of Jerusalem and ultimately crucified on a cross and thrown into a tomb, uh, you know, that stone becomes for um, all of the saints prior and all of the saints later. That stone becomes the foundation of faith. Um, and the authority of uh, the Son, right, going back to sort of the, uh, the tension in, in all of these, in this entire passage, uh, the the authority of the Son to um, thus accomplish the will of the Father uh, is made manifest um, precisely in this, uh, precisely in the fulfillment of the psalm. Um, and then, you know, the the consequence is that the the builders, the the tenants, the ones who rejected, uh, they lose the kingdom of God. Uh, it's taken from them. Uh, they had forsaken the authority God gave. They had rejected the uh, the Son, and in so doing, uh, they lose out on salvation. Um, and when you do that, that cornerstone, which for for all of the faithful is so um, so comforting, so peace giving, so blessed a foundation, um, when you are built on top of it. But if you've rejected it, and if you if you find yourself under it, um, you're in a great deal of trouble, right? The one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Um, here, Jesus answers the question of authority by proclaiming himself to be the authority by which all things are judged. If you are on top of him, right? So when he makes himself low in the incarnation, the humiliation. Uh, and the crucifixion, um, if you are built upon that, uh, 
you know, all, all good things for you. Um, if you are not, if you relate to the stone in any other way than to humbly build your faith upon it, um, well, then you are cursed and, and uh, totally crushed. Uh, so really, I mean, this is, um, again, we're only three or four days away from all of this taking place, but our Lord preaching pretty clearly about what's going to transpire. Right. And, and, and again, the, the chief priests, the Pharisees, hear all this, and, and they understand what Jesus is saying. He, they know that, they, that he is speaking against them, and still they're, they're looking for an opportunity to arrest them. You see that authority that they have from the crowds, as we talked about earlier, come into play again. They're not going to do it right now because they're afraid of the crowds. They know their only authority comes from their manipulation of the crowds. They can't do it here on Monday. They're going to be able to do it later in the week, but, but they won't do it do it here and and it's just i mean and this is maybe a, a slightly side point but just to to see they've understood the parables but they don't come to faith in jesus which which takes us a little bit back to some of the stuff in matthew 13 when jesus talks about the purpose of the parables and how they both hide and reveal well here that the pharisees quote get it but but they still don't believe in jesus pastor specker we, we've got four minutes left here on the morning and, and this parable particularly is is a it serves as a warning and, and you see that warning but but what I'd like to hear you talk a little bit more about and, and you can you know draw in more of the the text as well too is is the the comfort in these parables Jesus is is telling them against his opponents as a warning against them but what's the what's the comfort that we have as Christians hearing these parables parables believing in our Lord Jesus Christ yeah, um, and it's it's really it's comfort through and through. Um, you know, as we talked about before, if you're somebody under spiritual authority, uh, the accountability and the seriousness with which God takes uh, uh, that uh, that authority and, and holding spiritual leaders um, accountable for their deeds, that's a tremendous comfort. Um, it's a comfort here also uh, to see uh, what exactly God is willing to do uh, and what exactly the Son of God uh, did, uh, purely out of love for you. Um, we mentioned before that when Jesus came to Jerusalem, he's not, you know, his, his primary conflict isn't with the chief priests and the elders. Uh, in fact, you know, they're, they're made in the image of God. They're uh, part of God's chosen people of the Old Covenant. Uh, Jesus came for them also, because really who Jesus came to defeat uh, is, is Satan, uh, and of course he would. Um, it's tremendously comforting uh, to see the um, control and the authority with which our Lord came to accomplish that, um, that we know uh, and what we can understand from that is that he accomplished it uh, willingly out of love for his Father and out of love uh, for the people who would become his brothers and sisters, and that's us. And the reason that's so comforting today is, you know, the devil uses a, a, a great many weapons against the people of God. Um, you know, the, the um, neglectful or, or wicked leadership uh, in the passage we've, um, we've been studying is just one example. Today, you know, the people who are listening will know what weapons Satan wields against them and against their families. Uh, you know, certainly with, with the um, you know, the threat of, of uh, disease, which we, we haven't dealt with quite like this, I, I don't think in my lifetime, as we are with the, the coronavirus, 
um, what a tremendous comfort then to see here uh, God doing what is necessary, God actively being involved uh, in the care of his people, uh, God thwarting the attempts of the devil, whatever they are, whatever they look like, uh, ultimately by the crucifixion and resurrection of his son. Um, you know, we, we know how the story ends, and nothing that um, wicked tenants or uh, evil builders or bad leadership or temporal sin, or whatever wickedness, nothing that Satan throws at the people of God is going to subvert the will of God with respect to salvation. Um, The cross of Christ in the end reigns supreme. It is the authority. It is the cornerstone. And nothing changes that. Nothing can. Nothing ever will. Uh, And I Oh, very good. And I think that we, uh, uh, we just do well to bear that in mind. Pastor Dan Speckert is the pastor at Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois, helping us this morning with Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 through 46. Thank you, Pastor Speckert, for your time, for those words of comfort that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, the one who willingly went into death for you, to save you, to make you a member of his kingdom, and nothing, nothing can change that. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.